morning, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be starting in just a moment. Earlier this week, uh, I had to take the, the van to get some work done on it. Doing that thing, you know, when you're in a vehicle and you slow down and the, the rotors are warped, so it does a thing whenever you slow down. It was doing that. It's where you feel like it's going to break every time you break. So so I took it to the shop pretty early uh, to try to get there first, and uh, that didn't exactly work out as, as well as I'd hoped. There are already a few people that have beaten me there. And so I was waiting for a while, and I went out to get some lunch while while they were working on the on the vehicle. And as I was heading back, I had realized, uh, by the way, this is outside the five boroughs. That's in, important for the for the story. Uh, on my way, I realized the crosswalk uh, indicators weren't working. I think they had just locked it on never walk and it never changed. I stood there for probably 10 minutes pushing the button. I was like, all right, I just got to risk it. So went for it on the way back. I knew that's what it was going to take. All right. So I waited and I was watching the light. And uh, so I'm staying, I'm trying to go this direction. And uh, the traffic going this way had the red. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm okay. But of course, you never know. Somebody might not notice. It wasn't a very, uh, pedestrians, I don't think were the norm in this area, as the story will bear out, I think. So I'm double checking. Okay, is anybody going to turn across the intersection to make sure I'm not in the crosswalk and then get smacked, you know, with somebody not paying attention? So I'm checking, I'm checking, I'm looking both ways. All right, good to go. And so I start to walk and I did one more check over my shoulder just to make sure as I took a step out. And as I, took a look over my shoulder. I heard an engine rev and I found myself on the hood of a car just like that because there was a car that had the red light, but uh, was going to turn right, which is allowed outside of the five boroughs. Of course, you can turn right on red. I didn't think to look at my friend right here in his uh, 2011 Honda Civic to see if he was planning on turning right. I was just checking everything else. So I ended up taking a little ride for a, a few feet. It wasn't that bad, honestly. Uh, he felt really bad and startled. I was like, dude, please, you're making this worse for both of us. Just leave. I'm embarrassed. You're embarrassed. Get out of here. Let's pretend it didn't happen. And then I just waited. And I missed my light, by the way. That's part of the story. What happened there? I didn't even think to check. Because when I'm crossing the street, it doesn't even cross my mind. Because as you know, you might do a quick check. But in general, you know, this is the rule. Where we live and with the experience that we have day to day, nobody's allowed to turn right on red. So it doesn't even cross your mind because that's your experience every day. That's what you assumed. But then you get dropped into another context where there are different rules for the road and you get run over for a second at least. I think living in God's kingdom can be that way for us sometimes. We operate in this world with our experiences and our perspectives and the way the world shapes us to think. And then we come into God's kingdom and the legislation isn't always the same. Um, the rules for the road of walking with Jesus are not always the same. And it's important with every subject matter to make sure that whenever we're thinking about what's right and what's true. And as we walk in the way of the Lord, that we're walking according to his way, not the ways that the world tells us or not what even what we've grown accustomed to in our life in the world. The past several weeks, we've spent a few occasions to talk about uh, the Lord's way when it comes to marriage. Um, several weeks back, we looked at Jesus' teaching on marriage and on divorce and the nature of marriage. Uh, we looked at some of God's wisdom, uh, particularly in the book of Song of Songs, about pursuing and preparing for marriage and how to flourish within marriage.
today we're going to revisit this topic one one uh, I'll say one final time for me at least for the near future. I don't plan on talking about this much more in the near future. I think we've kind of um, done it, but uh, I feel compelled to address a few questions that have arisen even in some of these recent lessons and that often arise when it comes to uh, particularly divorce and remarriage. I have to tell y'all, I, I um, oftentimes whenever we teach and preach, it's with joy. It's a it's a source of excitement to be able to talk about God's word and to share that with others and to enjoy that with others. Sometimes when we stand up here and speak God's word, it's out of duty and burden, frankly, that we have to talk about these things to make sure we know uh, what God thinks. And it's usually on those that I, I can say for myself, at least, that I come with some level of trepidation. I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to go short of what God says. I also don't want to go beyond what God says. We always say this, but today's an important moment to just remind everyone. If there's something that's said or taught today that you think is incorrect and does not line up with, if we can say this way, the Lord's legislation for how to do right, please come talk to me. If I need to correct something publicly, I'll be eager to do that. If it's something we need to have some either individual or even some group discussion about, we'll organize that, whatever the case may be. That's always an open invite, but I'm going to say that especially today. Uh, as we talk about some things that are challenging, I think, challenging to some degree in Scripture, but more so challenging because of what we experience um, as we walk in the world. All right. So we're going to talk about these questions about divorce and remarriage, and uh, we're just going to kind of dive right into them. Before we do that, though, I'd ask you to bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us direction in this world. We thank you for giving us your word, and we pray, God, that you give us wisdom and humility and faith in you as we read your word and consider it today. Father, give us open hearts, comfort us with whatever pain or difficulty this subject matter may bring to us uh, and help us all to seek your will in all things. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. So what I've got is four question scenarios. First couple we'll spend a little more, a couple we'll spend more time on than uh, one in particular we won't spend as much time on. Um, but I've got four and this is not all the questions that arise when it relates to divorce and remarriage. But I think they are some important ones, some common ones. And frankly, I think if we uh, discern what is God's will on these questions and scenarios, it'll help us with other questions and scenarios that may arise. OK, so number one, first question, am I allowed to divorce my spouse for the cause of literally anything else? I almost put just a blank space there. Am I allowed to just anything else other than sexual immorality? Um, let's look at what Jesus has to say here. Matthew chapter five, verse thirty one, Matthew five and verse thirty one. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. Listen to what Jesus says in another conversation on this subject matter. Matthew 19, verse 3. This is literally the question that was asked to him. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds, for any cause at all, yours may say? Haven't you read, Jesus replied in Matthew 19, verse 4, that he who created them in, in the beginning made them male and female, and he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They further pressed him on this. In verse 9, he, he uh, comes back to it once more. He says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. All right, so let's come back to our question. 
am I allowed to divorce my spouse for any cause, literally any cause other than sexual immorality? What is Jesus' answer? The answer is no. There's, it's not allowed. Um, it's just not allowed. So that, that I know on the service, you're like, okay, got it. That's the end of that one. We, we, we knocked that one out. Um, except this gets challenging for us. And there's two um, reasons why I think some would say, actually, I know that's the rule. I know that's the rule. But actually, I think I can divorce. And let me tell you why. One of them is an argument from Scripture, and one of them is an argument from circumstance. I want to take the Scripture argument first. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter where uh, the Spirit is imparting uh, a number of teachings related to marriage. We've talked about some of them in, in even recent days. Uh, because the Corinthians had a lot of questions. They were sincerely trying to figure out how do we operate? Should we even be married? We're Christians now. Is, is marriage a worldly thing or is it a spiritual thing? How should we think about this? He's answering those questions. Listen to verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. To the married, I give this command. And then he says, actually not I, but the Lord. And I think what he means by that is this is not a new thing. I'm, I, Paul, am not really writing this. Y'all already know what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 16. This was a well-known teaching of Jesus Paul is saying, this is not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to leave, or yours may even say separate from or divorce her husband. And by the way, later he's going to say a husband shouldn't divorce his wife. It's not a one-way street here. That's the rule. We already know that from what we've read. Am I allowed to divorce? No, not for any reason. But some then come to the next verse and say, wait, 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 wait. Listen to verse 11. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now, verse 10 is pretty clear. Don't divorce. But then verse 11 says, if she does. That sure sounds to me like a little bit of permission. You shouldn't divorce your spouse. But if you do, here's how you go about it. Is that what he's saying? Is verse 11, in other words, permission for divorce for other causes besides sexual immorality? It could be. It could be. I'm going to tell you, I do not believe so. And I want to give you a parallel teaching in scripture that I don't think you believe so either, if you're going to follow this line of reason. Because basically the line of reason is he says, don't do it. But then he gives this if clause. And since the if clause there, that means you're allowed to. First John chapter two, verse one. If you want to turn over there, you can. I'm just going to tell you what the verse says, but you can uh, double check it. Please do with your own scripture. First John chapter two, verse one. This is not about divorce. Sorry, this is a parallel framework that I think helps us understand what Paul is doing uh, here in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. What's the rule? Don't sin. Are we allowed to sin? No. I'm writing to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, same structure. All right. What is, what is the teaching in 1 John 2? Is the teaching in 1 John 2, you shouldn't sin, but here's how you can sin if you want to. Here's your permission for sinning. Is that how you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? I don't. Here's the way I understand that. I think this is how we should understand it. I'm writing to you that you may not sin. This is the rule. Do not sin. But I recognize that you're going to sin. You shouldn't. You shouldn't see this as permission or even more so, some of you would say, oh, no, I have sinned. I am struggling with sin. Am I a lost cause? No. If anyone sins, it's not good to do it. It's not right to do it. But if anyone finds themselves in sin, here's the way to handle that. 
if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right, what, is he, what does this mean for 1 Corinthians 7? Here's the way I think we should understand this passage. Do not divorce. That is the rule. There is literally one exception given for divorce. But what if I've already divorced my spouse? I didn't know. I, maybe I kind of knew, but I, maybe I was ignorant. Maybe I was rebellious at the time. And now I don't want to. But I've divorced my spouse. What? Am I lost? Am I going to hell because I? Uh, no. If you are in that condition or if in the future you decide to rebel against the Lord's commands or you. Here's what you do. Remain unmarried. Or be reconciled to your spouse. It doesn't justify the action. It doesn't mean that we're permitted to take the action. It's sinful. But if you have committed that sin or sometime in the future you fall into that sin, here's how you resolve that in that circumstance. You get what I'm saying with that? Yeah. Same thing with 1 John 2, same thing with 1 Corinthians 7. So I don't believe this is a, uh, I almost would call this a biblical argument. I don't think it's a biblical argument. A lot of arguments are made in many things that use the Bible. It doesn't mean it's actually a biblical argument, right? This argument from Scripture I don't think is valid. And I don't think we can hold to that. Is there permission for divorce only for the cause of sexual immorality? Now, here's the truth. I think more often than not, the real argument is from circumstance. Um, I want to be um, circumspect about the way I'm going to say this. I've actually tried to write out what I want to say. Uh, I know usually we just kind of talk a little bit extemporaneously, but I want to be a little more mindful uh, even than usual or maybe precise would be. I try to be mindful always, but I want to be precise with what I want to say here. Um, th there are many circumstances that caused people to say, I cannot stay in spirits. I must divorce. Spousal neglect, pain and suffering due to tension within a marriage or difference between spouses, general unhappiness that develops in a marriage. And of course, um, we know that there are far too many cases of physical harm and endangerment that transpire within marriages. I have to say again, Jesus does not give permission for any cause for divorce except for sexual immorality. And I might add, he was given ample opportunity to provide exceptions, permissions. They pressed him. Wait, wait, wait. All right, is there any? And when, when he did give an exception, he gave one. Jesus was well aware of all the causes, we, all the circumstances we might experience where we say divorce is my only option. Well, even with Jesus' awareness of that and the ample opportunity he had to give exceptions, he only gives one to justify divorce. While the Lord does not allow divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality, I do want to say a word related to uh, endangerment due to physical harm uh, within marriage. The Lord has provided for and has commanded his people to actively work to care for those who are in trouble to the full extent of our ability. In order to protect an abused spouse or any abused person, God has appointed uh, two institutions on earth to protect and provide for people in that circumstance. One is the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13 says that actually the primary purpose of governing authorities is to punish evildoers, including abusive spouses, including, I'll say, Christian abusive spouses, which we because we know this happens. God has appointed the governing authorities to punish those. The other institution God has appointed to provide for an abused spouse is the church to provide refuge. You look at passages like 1 Corinthians 6 and many others where a, a church Christians are to provide for those who would be abused uh, to protect those who are in need. These two institutions are meant by God to protect and provide refuge and ongoing support for a person whose spouse enacts or is enacting violence against them. And I want to say this, our congregation specifically, some of you are aware of this, our congregation specifically has provided um, housing, refuge, 
uh, resources for those who are in danger in their marriage. The punchline of this is, though divorce is not permitted for any cause other than sexual immorality, the answer for someone who is in physical danger in their marriage is not, well, you just got to stay there and take it. That is not the answer that I believe is, is righteous to give. And that is not the answer we will give. And as we have provided refuge and protection and resource to those who are in trouble uh, in their marriage, we will continue to do that uh, in whatever way we can. There may be additional questions about that. Please feel free to ask those. But I think that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, yeah. But we're coming back to our question. Uh, and actually, look here in First Corinthians chapter 7. We talk about whatever circumstance, you know, one of the circumstances that you would think would be permission to leave your spouse would be if your spouse is antagonistic to your faith. Of all the other circumstances I mentioned, some of those are understandable. But even besides uh, sexual immorality, you might say, well, my spouse, they are discouraging me in my faith. They're maybe trying to pull me away from the Lord. Shouldn't I leave them? Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, but I, not the Lord. And I don't think this means Paul would never contradict the Lord. I think the point is this is new instruction. You have not heard this. I'm telling you something additional that the Lord has revealed to me as an apostle. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. This is parallel instruction, what's in 1 Peter 3. And that is, Christian, if you're in a, a marriage that has the most adverse circumstances possible, somebody who doesn't share in your faith, that's not permission to leave. You stay there so that you can even be a good influence, which implies, by the way, you don't just say, well, I want a divorce, but I guess I'll just grit my teeth and stay in this thing. No, you'd be a good influence. You'd be a light of Christ to that person. Is there any circumstance in which God permits us to divorce only one? And that's sexual immorality. Okay, I think we've handled that, uh, that question as best we can, at least. As I said, and I'm not going to keep making this invitation. You know the invitation's there. Let's talk more if you want. Scenario question number two. What about somebody who has been divorced? Sorry, I, I messed up. You know, I, I, I missed the boat on this. I was divorced. Maybe it was before I came to Christ. Or maybe um, maybe it was when, during a rebellious period or a weak moment as a Christian. I did. I, I violated what Jesus said. I divorced my spouse for a cause other than sexual immorality. Am I allowed to be remarried? Uh, so I think there's a yes and there's a no. All right, so let me tell you the yes. Matthew 19.9, I think, gives us the yes. Uh, the, the command in Matthew 19.9 is uh, anyone who divorces spouse and marries another commits adultery, except for the cause of sexual immorality. That exception, I think, applies just as much to the divorce as another marriage. Some would argue, by the way, that it does not. And I, I very much revere and respect that position. I don't think that um, I can impose that from my understanding of what this the text says. But some would say, no, no remarriage, no matter the case. But I do think the exception in Matthew 19, 9 means if you divorce your spouse because they committed sexual immorality, then you are free to remarry. That doesn't mean it's always advisable. That doesn't mean it's what you should do. But I think it is permitted. On the flip side, the answer can be no. Is remarriage allowed for a person who's been divorced? No, not if your divorce was for any other cause than sexual immorality, including, by the way, if you were the one who committed sexual immorality, you get divorced. That doesn't mean you have permission. You're the one who initiated this. It's the one who puts away their spouse for the cause of sexual immorality that has the right uh, to remarry. I thought about getting action figures, by the way, from Shay's Toys to be able to illustrate this, but it didn't happen. So anyways, um, OK, but but any other uh, cause or situation, no, remarriage is not allowed 
unless it's for that one very specific reason that Jesus gives. You even see this in verse uh, 11 that we've already read here in 1 Corinthians 7. Either remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. I want to look to show you another passage that I think makes this even clearer on this matter. Look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Am I allowed to marry again after I have divorced my spouse if that divorce was not valid, if it did not match up with the standard Jesus gave for it? Look at Romans 7 and verse 2. Romans 7 and verse 2. Actually, the, the point of Romans 7 is not about marriage. It's about uh, a number of things. I'm not going to get into all of it, but um, marriage is used as a specific example to teach a broader lesson, and it helps clarify to us this question about remarriage. Look at Romans 7, verse 2. He says, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. This makes sense. The Lord says the two become one flesh and don't tear apart what God has put together. All right, One flesh. All right? As long as he lives, she's bound to her husband. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law of marriage and she is free to remarry. Verse three says, so then, he's still alive in this scenario. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, what will she be? Adulterous. She'll be committing adultery. Same difference for a man, as always, we like to say this, just because he's given the scenario one direction, go either way. If you leave your spouse and marry another, you are committing adultery. Now, once again, if your husband dies, then uh, she is freed from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she's not an adulteress. What's the rule on this? Once you are joined to another person, as long as you both shall live, wasn't that, is that in our vows anymore whenever people get married? I don't know. Sometimes it's not, but it maybe it really, really should be. But be remember that this, as long as you both shall live, you are joined to that person until they die. What if I leave this person or they leave me and it's not for the cause of sexual immorality? Am I allowed to be remarried? No. Because if I marry another, what am I doing? I'm committing adultery. And that is a, an extremely heinous sin. It's one of the big 10 that God laid down back at Mount Sinai, remember? And it's one that Jesus reiterated and further expounded upon. And it's one that's just all throughout scripture. It's not allowed. Am I allowed to remarry my spouse um, after divorce? The answer is no, it's adultery. Go back to 1 Corinthians 7, though. I want to show you again an argument that, that is made to uh, support remarriage if there's a divorce for other causes than sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 7, we, we'll just pick right up where we left off in our reading here in this chapter. In verse 15, he's still talking about the scenario of being married to a non-Christian and how that relationship may go. Verse 15, he gives a, a very likely scenario, frankly, for somebody who's come out of a pagan lifestyle and their spouse says, what is going on? Why did you start doing all this stuff? Why are we living such a weird life now? Why are you following this Jesus? He was crucified. He's a criminal. I can't believe in this stuff with you. And eventually your spouse might decide not because of sexual immorality or anything else to go. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to peace. All right, so we've got the rule. Can I be remarried after a divorce? No, that's adultery. But some might say, hey, but look at this. It says if your spouse leaves you, you are no longer bound. No longer bound sounds like free. Free sounds like do what you want. Do what you want sounds like remarriage. You see the, the line of reasoning there? And frankly, I, I, I can understand it. I can understand it. And there's a couple of problems. I'm not going to try to get into this at this point. If you want to know more of this, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's a pretty humongous problem is the meaning of this word bound 
And uh, there's a grammatical issue with that as far as using this word to say, this means you're free to remarry. If you want to hear more about it, you can ask me about it. I, I'm happy to explain it. Um, but it's deep water and I don't want to try to swim in it in this uh, in this context right here. But we don't even need that, I think, to, to understand that I don't believe this passage is giving permission to divorce and remarry for any cause other than sexual immorality. First of all, uh, the context is important. Sometimes people use this to say, hey, this gives me permission to remarry, but they use it a little bit haphazardly. This is a very specific situation. A Christian married to a non-Christian and the non-Christian leaves. Sometimes this is used to talk about two Christians or me, whenever I was, I was a non-Christian and my spouse was a non-Christian. That really, this doesn't even apply in that scenario, frankly. So this is not uh, useful in that question. The other issue is the context of 1 Corinthians 7 is about the marital responsibilities, the things that we are duty bound to fulfill as spouses. And that's uh, sexually, that's more broadly in loving your wife and submitting to your husband. And look at verses 12 through 14 again, what we just read. What's he talking about? The duty of a, non, of a Christian spouse to be a godly influence on their non-Christian spouse. So imagine this. You're a sincere, conscientious uh, lady in the church in Corinth. And you read verses 12 through 14. And you know, okay, I need to, I need to be a good wife. I need to you know, give myself to my husband, submit to him, do all this stuff, serve him, be godly, be a good influence, win him over without a word, all that kind of stuff. All right, great. And I'm doing that. But then he up and leaves. Wait a second. God has commanded me that I have to do all these things to please him in my marriage. What if my spouse leaves? That means I, I'm in sin all the time because my spouse, I don't have the opportunity to serve and fulfill my obligations. The things that I'm bound to do as a servant of Christ. I'm in real trouble here. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're not. God has called you to peace. You're not in control of that scenario. Your spouse has left you and you are no longer bound to those duties and responsibilities. Is that still your husband? Well, yeah. I mean, they've left you, but you are joined as one flesh. But in terms of the day-to-day -day responsibilities that you are duty bound as a servant of Christ to fulfill, you don't need to stress out or fret over those things. God has called you to peace. You are not bound to continue meeting those responsibilities. Now, the, bigger, the other question that you might say is, well, am I free to remarry? You tell me, does this passage even indicate anything about merit, or remarriage, I should say? There's no mention of it. There's no even thought of it, frankly. The only thing in this text of any kind of divorce scenario that's been brought up is you either remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. I don't believe 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15 gives us permission to marry again after a divorce for any cause other than sexual immorality. All right. So that's uh, scenario number two that we're talking about. Uh, all right. So number three. So the first scenario, am I allowed to divorce my spouse for any cause? No, you're not. Jesus said no. And there's no biblical argument and circumstance doesn't change what we might wish that it would. Divorce is not allowed. Uh, what about remarriage? Only if you divorce your spouse for the cause of sexual morality. Anything else would be a violation of God's will and would be wrong. Uh oh. I didn't know all these rules. I walked in the crosswalk and didn't realize that they could turn right on red. I'm in trouble here. I'm in an adulterous marriage. What do I do now? First off, let's let's define um, what is an adulterous marriage. And we already see it from what we've what we've noted. Romans seven in particular is helpful. Am I living in adultery? Well, here's the question. Are you married to your original spouse to whom God joined you? No, I'm not. Was that divorce for the cause of sexual morality? No. It was not. Are you married to someone else? 
Yes, I am. Is your original spouse still living? Yes, they are. You are living in adultery. You follow? If your spouse is alive, your original spouse is alive, and you are married to someone besides that spouse after a divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality, then you're living in adultery. What do I do now? What do I do now? Look at 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to kind of come around this a uh, little bit of a roundabout way. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about a number of sins that were in the lives of the people in Corinth. They could all, somebody could raise their hand on each one of those sins. Kind of like people like us. Each one, we, we could raise our hands if we wanted to on these various sins, whichever ones we participated in the past. But he makes it clear that they were not continuing in those sins. He says, such were some of you. Or sometimes I say, uh, some of you used to be like this. You used to do these things, meaning that they had ceased from those activities. What that means is those who had been in homosexual unions, we're no longer participating in those homosexual partnerships and unions. Those who had worshipped, not only worshipped, but maybe even we know from the scriptures, there were people who produced idols, built idols, temples, promoted uh, idolatry. They put those things away. They no longer continued in those things anymore. Those who had been extortioners, who would steal from other people, they no longer continued in those things. Such were some of you, they were in sin, but when they came to Christ, they repented of their sins. I'm not even going to bother turning you to the scriptures. You know them. And if you're not familiar with these, please open up the book of Acts. And frankly, open to pretty much any page where they're preaching the gospel. Repentance is the demand. I mean, over and over and over again, that's the demand. I mean, belief and baptism, of course, are essential and come up as well. But repentance is the primary command for coming to life in Christ. We do not continue in our sin because if we continue in sin, we're not walking with Christ. And if we're not walking with Christ, we are dead in our sins. Repentance demands turning away from our sin and turning back to God. Why would this be any different when it comes to living in adultery? Whether that's an adulterous marriage or any other um, circumstance of adultery. You understand what I'm telling you? If I were to come to Christ and I was a extortioner, let's make it more fun. I'm in the mafia. And I'm just, you know, stealing from folks. And I don't know if the movies are true, but all the stuff they do in those movies, and I, that's my life. And I come to Christ. And you say, hey, brother, you need to repent. You say, oh, I did. I apologize for that. I knew it was wrong for me to start work. But this is how I feed my family. This is how I provide. Uh, and so I can't. I can't stop doing this. I mean, I, I was forgiven for the fact that I joined the mafia in the first place. And, you know, I feel bad about it. And I wish this wasn't the case, but it is what it is. Would y'all embrace that? Accept me? Say, that's fine. 
I should think not. You'd exhort me and say, brother, you cannot continue in that sin so that grace may abound. Certainly not. Repentance demands that you turn away from that. And that may be a process and it may take some time, may be difficult and we'll help you and support you and provide whatever you and your family need to be able to navigate this. But you cannot continue in that sin else you will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What about if I came to Christ and I said, hey, um, this is me and my husband and these are our children that we've adopted. Or maybe even we've used our genetic material via surrogate to produce children who are actually genetically our children and all this kind of stuff. And it was wrong. I, re I realized that it was wrong for me to enter into this homosexual union, this homosexual partnership. Um, and I'm thankful I've been forgiven of that. But I'm going to be carrying on in this relationship. Would that be allowed? Would we say that's a that's a that's OK? The Lord is pleased with that. I should say not. So then I come back again to the question of if I find myself in an adulterous marriage, what would repentance require? I could not continue in that and rightly say and rightly be said of me that such were some of you, you adulterer, such were you, Ben, that you were living in adultery. I cannot continue in that marriage. I would have to leave it. And wow, how painful and complicated and messy and heartbreaking that would be. We know it is. Read Ezra chapter 10, where there were people in invalid marriages that were un, unscriptural, that went against God's will. And they put those spouses away in a heartbreaking fashion. In uh, Mark chapter six, we know that John the Baptist told Herod that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife to be because he was committing adultery. It was such a serious and grievous um, command that was given by the prophet that Herod's not really his wife, but the woman he had stolen and was acting like it was his wife. She had John the Baptist killed as a result of it because it was so painful. I recognize that this is um, not something to take lightly and it's something really difficult. But it's much it will be much more difficult to meet the Lord on Judgment Day and for him to say, you lived in adultery. You lived in an adulterous marriage all those years and you never repented. You are an adulterer. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That would be truly heartbreaking. All right, last question. I am a divorced person. What does all this stuff mean for me? And I think there's two, two angles on this that are, are challenging. One is... Someone might say, it's pretty clear God hates divorce. He did say that. And we see from all this teaching that this is a terrible sin, as all sins are. But for some reason, maybe we think this one is a little more special, maybe because it's a little more permanent or seems more permanent than some other sins where we can maybe uh, change the circumstance or whatever. What does this mean for me? Look at that passage again. Whatever sin someone's ever committed... Is that it? Is that the whole story for them? Such were some of you, but no more. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. It doesn't matter what you've done or what the condition of your life is or what has happened. If you've turned to God and you, there may be circumstances outside of your control, you can't be reconciled to your spouse. They don't, they refuse it or they, whatever the case may be, you're forgiven of that. You don't need to walk around in guilt or shame. And may we never be a group of people, by the way, that allow anyone to carry guilt or shame for their past sins now that they stand righteous in the name of Christ. You hear me? We cannot do that on any sin. And you fill in the blank. Read this whole list. And so if you've been divorced, but you have come to Christ 
and you are not living in adultery, you're not living in rebellion, you're forgiven. You are righteous. You are sanctified in God's eyes. All right, so that's number one. Full forgiveness. That's what we know. And what's the call then for my life moving forward? Total faithfulness. Meaning that either I'm reconciled to my spouse or I remain unmarried for the remainder of my life. And I know that is a... I hate every time I have to have this conversation with, with people. All of this, by the way, of course, we're, as far as I know, and some of you may correct me on this, but as far as I know, this, uh, this sermon is not addressing anybody's situation. This is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, it's to get ahead of this, not to respond to some situation we have, okay? But I hate whenever we do have to talk about these things to individuals, and this is their situation. It's heartbreaking. Because the person says, I can't go back to them. Why do you think I left in the first place? It was the worst. It was torture to live in that marriage. You telling me I got to be reconciled to them? Or the person who says, wait a second, you don't understand. Like, I actually know the joys of marriage. I know how beautiful it is. I experienced it. And you're telling me I got to remain without that for the rest of my life? It's extremely painful and difficult to be faithful to the Lord. Really in all things, but this is one area where it's especially difficult. And I know that. And I hope you understand. I'm not saying these things lightly in this regard. But this is the Lord's command. And whenever we walk in his way, there are so many things that he demands of us and calls us to, not to punish us or to harm us, but that are ultimately for our good. And it doesn't seem like it's very good. Just like me when I was standing in that crosswalk and I looked both ways several times and double checked my shoulder but I didn't really understand what was going on. We got to understand God's ways. And if, if I can read one more passage to you before we conclude, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. When it comes to following God's ways, keeping his commands, doing his will, trusting his will, whenever we come into various scenarios, wondering, can I divorce my spouse for any cause other than sexual immorality and come with the, the truth of no, you cannot, unless it's for this one specific cause, no matter the circumstances, no matter how difficult, Whenever I run into the, the scenario, well, what about, could I remarry now? Well, no, unless it was for the cause of sexual morality. There's no permission given. You cannot. And what about, oh, I'm in an adulterous marriage. Maybe a marriage that I enjoy greatly and is a great source of, of peace and happiness for me. And you're telling me that this is sinful according to God and I have to leave this according to God if I'm going to repent? Ah. Jesus said this in Luke 14 and verse 25. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The way of the Lord is paved with the cross. That's what we're walking every day. It's a life of sacrifice and of loss and of difficulty. And these teachings that we've considered today, uh, I believe the reason we have to hold true to them is because they line perfectly with what Jesus has said. And whatever things we may have to give up in terms of our preferences or our wishes, we lay them at the feet of his cross, bending our will to his, knowing that it's good for us, counting the cost of what it takes to follow him. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost 
to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus says, don't start following me if you don't understand that I'm going to take everything. I'm sorry. It's going to take everything. All your heart, all your will, all your choices, your whole life, your money, your relationships, everything, because y'all broken this thing, Jesus has said, and I got to put it back together. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. These are difficult teachings and challenging. And once again, I'd love to discuss this. I wouldn't love, but I would be happy to discuss them further if we need to. Um, because these are important, just like all things as the Lord has told us are critical. But I hope we'll remember on this and on all things, we look to him for what he has said. And we look to him for what he has done in carrying the cross of our sin. And we bear our own cross to follow him, whatever that may cost. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we pray that you'd protect us against deception. We pray that you'd protect us against our own will and our own sins, and we pray that you protect us against the ways of this world. Teach us to take up our cross daily, whether that be in marriage or on our jobs or in our relationships with each other or when we face temptation in our private moments. Make us take up our crosses and follow our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.